In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Stefan Schrambach, founder and CEO of New Store. Stefan, welcome. Thank you, Bobby, for having me. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time here. You have you have such a, an amazing story here. Uh, I'm not going to give it justice myself, but would love to have you uh, just kind of walk through your trajectory and what, what got you to New Store. I am a lifetime entrepreneur. I've never been employed. I started uh, my first company pretty much out of college, and that later became uh, one of the inventors of e-commerce. So we invented a shopping cart, a couple other things. And um, you know, later we pivoted. I started another company that provided e-commerce out of the cloud. That company, Demandware, is now Salesforce Commerce Cloud. So I have a long history of basically digital commerce and the brands we would work for at, at Demandware. They were super sophisticated on the e-commerce side, right? They would use all of our tools, the merchandising tools in Demandware. And then we looked at their stores and they were from the 80s. I mean, they like <laughs> NCR cash registers and there was absolutely no connection between online and offline, which at the beginning was necessary to make e-commerce successful. I mean, we should remind ourselves how, how it was when e-commerce was young and the first CEOs recognized if I let my retail team run e-commerce, they will just kill it. So, so they were wise enough, or the smarter ones, they were wise enough to have a dedicated, uh, you know, VP e-commerce reporting directly to them, and they had their own budget and, and nobody could touch them. That is the reason why online and offline is so divided. It was necessary to make uh, online successful. But anyway, so, you know, at, at Demand, where we, we looked at this problem, and later I thought, can we not bring some of the e-commerce disciplines and sophistication and technology, everything's data-driven, for example, can we not bring this to the stores and make the stores run more like an extension of the e-commerce website? And that's really what New Store is about. And uh, the methods we used for it are unique. You know, everything runs on an iPhone. The backend is cloud-based. And as much as possible, we try to avoid any other hardware or distraction in the store. So the store associates have their iPhone, with it, they can sell what's in the store. They can sell what's you know, in other stores, in other inventory locations. And that's really what we, we are trying to do from sort of a, how we see the stores evolving. And then obviously we have the connection with the website to facilitate buy online, pick up in store, buy online, ship from store. And we do it in a very clever way where, you know, for example, if there is a buy online, pick up in store, we can message the store associate using push notification. And then the tasks are laid out for them so that they can't fail in it, right? And preparing that uh, back with the merchandise. If for whatever reason they get distracted and we don't see it advancing, then we hand it to another store. So, so. so in a way, we have a clever way of combining what mobile can do with how you, um, the data-driven um, uh, sort of aspects of, a, of an e-commerce website to make online and offline truly one thing. Got it. Got it. Got it. Walk us through what that means, and and just to kind of a real life example, like 
a location that doesn't have a new store and a location that does have a new store? Like, what are, what are the main kind of differences that you see in that operation? For example, as a customer, you walk into one of our brand stores, let's say Untucket, uh, you know, the shirt maker. And let's say you are there for the first time and you like what they sell you. And some of the shirts aren't available in your size or color combination. Normally, they would have to say, oh, you know, I can try to order that for you, but you'll have to wait because we have only one computer and it becomes something that nobody wants. Uh, or I have to call another store. So most customers are like already on their way out by that. With new store, the associate can basically say yes to everything. Uh, they can say, oh yes, I can sell that to you right now in a same transaction and it's being shipped to you and you don't even have to type in your address in a form because the payment method that we're using is also transmitting the shipping address in a store. So it's from phone to phone, no terminal involved. Yeah, so it's a very smooth, frictionless experience that combines an aspect of buying something in a store and taking it uh, with you and e-commerce. Now, the clever thing about the e-commerce piece is the item doesn't necessarily have to come from the website. If the website doesn't have it, it might come from another store. And also manage the store inventory in the so that we can with much more accuracy, say, yes, we know it's going to be in that, you know, Fifth Avenue store and we can ship it from there. As compared to a traditional POS setup, where you only need as much inventory accuracy so that you can replenish, right? Here, we want to know until the last item exactly what's in the store so we can promise it or ship it from there, right? Or, or So, yeah, that would be one example for how it is different. Let me give you another example that's relevant to the to COVID situation. Our customers all support, our brands all support buy online chip from store and buy online pickup in store. And during COVID, that became a thing. They could open stores or basically make stores productive and access the inventory that were basically closed. So they didn't, they couldn't allow any customers in, but they could use it as a location to ship from. And so they could sell that inventory that would otherwise have to be discounted by the end of the season because, you know, there's new inventory coming. <laughs> How do you put it? Right? So it's enormously valuable for the brands to have that ability to affect sales in other inventory location precisely with good efficiency. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what, uh, you know, demandware, I'm, I'm very familiar with it, of course. And I think a, a lot are, it became really kind of a household name, at least in the B2B sector. How did you go from, you know, that idea? And then, you know, I heard kind of your, your initial story of you thought there was more to kind of bridge online and offline. You want to bring a lot of that, that online technology over to the offline you know, segment. But what initially got you, you know, so excited about new store where you thought it was a big problem that you wanted to go out and solve? Primarily at the time for the brands that used the manware, uh, e-commerce was only 20% or so of the revenues. And the other 80% was uh, retail plus wholesale. And I saw this trend from that was already visible like, you know, 10, 15 years ago that brands increasingly wanted to become more uh, vertically integrated consumer direct organizations that, are, that don't have to rely on wholesale partnerships. And in, in, in a world like this, you need your own retail because, you know, before you could do just the website and wholesale. And that would be enough because your wholesale partners represented your merchandise and brick and mortar. And so you had a way for customers to get basically exposed to your brand in the real world 
that you didn't have to pay for, right? But, you know, if that's no longer a viable channel, and, and increasingly it isn't anymore. I mean, all the department stores are basically bankrupt or <laughs> have difficulties. And that's not new. That's not a COVID thing, right? In this world, you have to have retail, at least some of it. But uh, you want to run retail differently. You w don't want it as a P&L where you measure every store by their profit. What you really want to do is you want to use the sort of smaller retail footprint as a marketing and service investment as a brand. So marketing, because you can then run the stores like a website. You can you have a customer acquisition cost, which is basically your you know monthly fixed cost divided by the number of first-time customers that never shopped with the brand. And then you know you have a customer lifetime value because in my example with Antucket, that same customer now is registered as a customer, would shop online the next time because he or she knows, okay, I have my size, I know exactly what fits, so I can buy online, okay? But then you, what you want to do is you want to calculate, was it worth the investment in the store to win that customer there? But it's a very different calculation uh, as compared to, is the store profitable? You know, you may have stores that are not profitable at all, but they generate a lot of customers who then buy five, six, seven <laughs> times online. But for that, you can't have anonymous purchases, right? So you have to have a very high capture rate. And our customers have between 95 to 97% capture rate because it's so easy to do that with a smartphone in hand and with e-commerce type payment options in the store that are not anonymous. Got it. And, and so in, in the locations that have new store, do they eliminate a, a point of sale system entirely or? None of our customers has a traditional uh, POS. They have nothing in the store but their smartphones and a printer and a terminal. And even those things are like, we consider them uh, legacy requirements. We have to support terminals and we have to support printers, but you can email the receipt and you can pay from phone to phone. So you technically, you don't need them. And I think they will go away, both of them. I think we will basically, in particular for vertically integrated brands, there will be no cash, there will be no terminals, no printers required. You have this you know, like beautiful brand experience in a store and the store associate can not only sell you anything that's available anywhere in the, in, in the enterprise, but they can also solve any customer service issues because they have all the uh, information at their fingertips. They cannot only do this in the store. You can also, as a customer, if you remember your store associate, Joe, you can text Joe and say, hey, Joe, can you make a recommendation before, you know, what I just bought? Maybe I, I want uh, pants with it. Joe can then text a link that includes a basket or an individual item, and you can pay with one touch, with Apple Pay or with PayPal or uh, Google Pay or any other you know, sort of smartphone-enabled uh, payment method. And that's a form of e-commerce that originates from the stores that basically has nothing to do with the website and is m very personal. That's amazing. That's amazing. It, it's kind of like the uh, you no know, software kind of initiative that Salesforce went by kind of early on. You're really going down the path of no POS and just eliminating that whole process. Yes, I mean, POS is a feature of the associate app, as we call it, that we provide, but it's doing it in a very clever way where every store associate is a POS, right? So instead of waiting in a line for the one or the two lines that are there, all of the six store associates that are available can uh, not just check a customer out, but uh, be helpful with everything else. Very amazing. I'm a big believer, uh, big in the space. You know, I've been in the retail and, and, and restaurant space for a long time, and and just hearing what you're saying, big believer. I think it's it's definitely kind of the future. As you've been, Stefan, as you've been looking, kind of, uh, you know, you've been looking at a lot of brands, and as you said, you've been an entrepreneur in the in the space for a very long time. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in, in customer behavior? Let's talk about pre-COVID first, and then we'll go to COVID. But pre-COVID, what are some of the, the changes that you've seen in customer behavior? 
Pre-COVID, I think the biggest change over time was that they're drawn even more to brands than before, and convenience became a very important thing. It was important before, but gone are the days where luxury labels, for example, could afford to let people wait in a line. or you know, So convenience and getting whatever you want, a customer wants to do with a brand, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a purchase, could also be a customer service issue or an exchange or whatnot. Get that done frictionless between the channels without any red tape, without having to call a customer service line. There's a lot of demand for that. Some brands, they pride themselves that they have a call center. I would argue if, if you need one, you have a problem. <laughs> now, so this has changed. Then, you know, most customers expect and demand integration between the channels. They have no idea why you couldn't possibly return something that you just bought online in a store, why that wouldn't be normal, why you can't have this refunded to your credit card, why you can only get a some coupon. It, it, customers just don't understand that and they may go to another brand. So the product not being just the uh, merchandise, but the entire experience, I think that's something that that got uh, really pronounced in the recent years pre-COVID. Now with COVID coming, the most obvious uh, change is the demand for touchless payments and no cash. So handling cash is seen as something that you could possibly infect yourself with, with COVID. So both the store associates and the customers are avoiding it as much as possible. In specialty retail, I would argue you don't need cash. It doesn't belong there. We do support cash, don't get me wrong, but I think cash is basically outdated. Cash has also, you know, obviously has other disadvantages for the brand. It makes data capture harder, whereas, you know, most electronic payment methods, uh, they make data capture relatively easy. Then there is, I, I would say, another trend that is beginning is credit card terminals will basically be replaced by phone-to-phone payments. Think of it this way. There is this monopoly from uh, of a, you know, a handful of vendors like Veryphone that then has sort of software partnerships, sometimes only local software partnerships in a specific country, that makes it super complicated for a brand to have a consistent experience across uh, uh, many geographies. So it's just very hard. So what they really want is behave in the store like you behave in a website, right? You have a bunch of payment methods and not all of them are supported in all countries, but it's relatively straightforward to enable them and then customers can use them. So that you know, sort of e-commerce approach to payment, that's clearly a trend. Yeah. COVID has helped to train even very conservative consumers in QR code reading, for example. I, you know, I, I know I have a camera and you know this camera, if I point it to the QR code, it will bring up a URL and then I can do something with the URL. That's enormously helpful for for frictionless experience that includes payment in store for items that I take with me and also for I have items that are being shipped to me from another location. Because if you think about it, it's a form of a of an e-commerce transaction, you get a payment link and then you use, let's say, Apple Pay and Apple Pay provides the billing address, the shipping address and the rest, the rest of the information that's needed and the email address for the receipt and all that. Yeah? So it can make super things that were, used to be super complicated, uh, super straightforward. And we had pioneered this, but we found that only young people used it. And now it's very different. Now everybody can use it because, uh, you know, if you can't read a QR code, you, you can't eat in a restaurant, at least not in Europe. <laughs> right. all, the, all the menus are gone and you only have the QR code if you can't read that. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, what you can do in the context of retail 
with a smartphone, that's something that, and in, you know, it could sort of include uh, restaurants in that. That's something that uh, has changed with COVID to the, towards the better, I would say. Yeah, no, agreed. 100% agreed. And what do you think, uh, are there, you know, do you think some of these trends that you talked about are temporary or do you think these are permanent? Everything I talked about here is not temporary. What is temporary, obviously, is there's less less foot traffic in in inner cities and in, in, in particular in, in retail. That will come back, I'm pretty sure. I don't think we will see a reversal of the amount of e-commerce versus retail sales necessarily. I think the retail portion will grow again, but the e-commerce portion will sort of, you know, roughly stay the same and keep growing at the rates it has been growing before. But retail will come back. But then again, you know, it's a different kind of retail. And there is a segment of retail that's growing, which is the type of retail where brands that used to rely on wholesale increasingly built out their consumer direct strategy. And that includes smaller stores placed in, you know, metropolitan cities that are basically an alternative to winning customers online only. Winning customers online, first-time buyers online only is very expensive. And according to research, but also to what we know from our customers, it's about um, you know, 30 to 50% less expensive to find new customers with a clever you know, retail strategy than having an online-only customer acquisition strategy. That's an important stat. That's, that's very important. And I, I'm a big believer there. I think, uh, I think what you're saying is correct. I think high level, I think people are going to continue to shop you know, online, but I think the in-store experience is going is to start to grow again. You know, one of the trends that we've been hearing about a lot here, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, what malls are experiencing is, and, and what they're thinking through is, hey, we, we actually think that, you know, the footprints here are going to become a lot smaller and we're going to have a lot of these smaller footprint stores, more of them, less department stores and larger stores. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a, that's a trend we're going to start to see? Yeah, I mean, I think department stores are largely that with the exception of some you know, super luxury icons, Bergdorf Goodman, or in, you know, in Germany, uh, KDW, there's there some icons that are also architectural landmarks. They will remain and they will continue to do well, but they have a high service component and they're special. But um, department stores as a, as a business model is in the defensive and that will, will not change after COVID. I think most of them will go out of business. Malls, I think, and typical malls, I don't think they have much of a future. <laughs> I mean, if you build a mall differently, if it's an sort of an integrated area where you have high quality stores, where you have uh, cafes, where you have service, gyms and other things, you know, where it's like about the experience um, and uh, that will fly, I think. But then primarily it's driven by brands that open their own stores there. The typical mall where you have a lot of franchises, but I don't believe in that anymore. I think it would go away. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other interesting parts about what you're saying is we've been hearing the kind of a similar trend in the sense of that there's been some online-only retailers that have started to think about opening up you know, pop-up shops and, and malls and all that good stuff for distribution purposes, for pickup purposes, for maybe they have an experience element that they want to expose to their customers. And really complementing that on top of the the online component that they're that they're focused on. So it'd be interesting to see if that really does become kind of a trend. Yeah. Although I have to tell you, I, I really only believe in the experience part and the customer service part. And for both, you need the uh, permanent location. You cannot do this with pop-up stores. Pop-up stores are great for testing the waters just to see how it's going and you know, particular smaller. Uh, brands try this, they do that. Yeah, But eventually you have to commit as a brand to sort of a retail location. And because of the 
damage that uh, COVID has done to retailers and their landlords. Right now is a really good time to start a retail strategy because you basically, <laughs> I mean, uh, landlords are uh, much more willing to entertain lease deals where, you know, the brand pays, let's say, the fixed cost only and uh, like the majority of the lease is a variable only a portion, you know, that shifts much of the risk of, of that retail strategy of working out to the landlord. So it's a great time to do that. What do you think, uh, you know, you, you've seen a lot of different experiences, Stefan. What has been the, the best in-store experience that you've uh, witnessed over the years? Uh, I still think Apple is uh, the gold standard in many ways. And what do you think they do well? Well, you know, first of all, they clearly designed their stores to be experience stores. It's all about the experience. Uh, Apple doesn't care whether you buy something in a store or not. They care about that you come away entertained, impressed, met some friends. You can also buy something, and if they don't have it in stock, they can easily ship it to you. So they had Omnichannel working quite early. You know, granted, this is a big company. They could build all that stuff in-house with their own IT team. Uh, that's probably not in the cards for like 95% of the brands. They have to rely on vendors like Newstore. But Apple has been really on the forefront, and they've done it exceptionally well. What is one of your, one of your favorite places to shop? Well, I have to admit, in the, the last you know s- seven months or so, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, it was a lot of online shopping, uh, except for groceries. And for groceries, I went shopping. How about pre-COVID? Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. I mean, it depends on what I'm. You know, every time I don't really know what I'm looking for, I like to go shop. Versus when I know what I'm looking for, I go online. That's sort of me. Uh, so one of our customers, uh, Deca- Decathlon, for example, sporting goods. You know, if I want something in sporting goods, but I don't really know what to buy, I go to Decathlon because they they have experts who tell me, you know, which, which of the you know, many choices any <laughs> given a challenge that I'm interested in uh, would, would fit me best. Uh, so they have enthusiasts, not just uh, store associates. And I think that's the model. That's the model, like uh, having sort of a brand experience and having uh, enthusiasts that are brand ambassadors that add a value in a conversation. What are some, um, as people are thinking and listening to this, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, what do I do next? What are some of the key takeaways that you have for retailers that are thinking about their strategies and thinking, what do I do now and, and, and beyond? I'd say clearly, don't think about your stores as a separate business. It is an extension of your website, whether you like it or not. And uh, the trends are clear and they want reverse. So you better get ahead with technology that makes the store operate like a website. For example, high data capture rate. A website has cookies, so nobody goes unnoticed. You need something for your stores that does something similar. Um, you know, service, capturing, you know, every visit, at least the ones that let, lead to a transaction. Uh, that's critical. I think look at e-commerce payment methods as an alternative to cash and terminal because it helps to increase the capture rate. That'll be something. Don't think in cash registers. You know, think about how can you equip every store associate with a means to do everything for every customer who walks in. That usually means smartphone or smartphone type technology instead of other form factors, right? Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. As we're talking about technology, what are some technologies that you think were adopted faster than expected in retail? We are pretty impressed by how fast the smartphone gets adopted in retail. When we started, it was an uphill battle. Pretty much everyone told us, no, we want an iPad because, you know, then I need only one iPad for my three associates per store. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were like, no, no, no. But the whole point is that everybody can do something independently working with the customer. Oh, but you, you don't want to make the, you don't want to buy these smartphones that are so expensive. So all that has changed. I mean, eventually, I think it's going to become a bring your own device type of world. Like it is in the uh, taxi cab industry, it's going to be the same thing because, you know, they're getting cheaper. If the iPhone XR, you know, you can get it for like $16 a month, including uh, Apple Care Plus. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, the cost to uh, manage that with an MDM is much higher than the $16 for the device. So you might as well tell your employees, hey, just buy an expensive to the company even we give you $20 a month so you can have a, a smartphone. Right? And retail is in that transition, actually, to that model where the smartphone literally becomes what for desk jobs used to be the computer. So it's just that associates got left out. They didn't get a computer. <laughs> and you know, the desk jobs, they got laptops so you can take the work home. Yeah, the associates will take some of the work home with the smartphones and they can continue to sell you know, their employment arrangement permitting via chat or otherwise uh, remotely. So I think, you know, for retail, which is extremely conservative, that's uh, clearly I see it being adapted everywhere. There are some other things that take a little bit longer, but Omnichannel will sort of force it. Serialized inventory is one that we, we very much believe in. If every item has a serial number, Omnichannel becomes so much easier. Because, you know, say you buy something online and you walk into a store and you want to exchange it, it's no longer necessary to ask for the receipt. If you can scan the serial number somehow, you know exactly it was part of this and this transaction, it was part of a promotion, so it's only eligible for, I don't know, exchange and not for refund. You know all these things, and everything gets so much more data-driven and efficient. So th that takes retailers, honestly, a little bit longer to adapt, but it's happening now because the technology is getting so much more affordable. You can have a, an off-ID printer for 500 bucks, and you can begin serializing inventory during receiving in the back of the store. You can do an experiment for almost nothing. So that's, that's and we, we hope that's going to drive some change. Makes a lot of sense. Any last words, Stefan, for our listeners? That was a great amount of information and, and guidance here, but any, any last words that we I, I did not cover? No, I think this was fun, Bobby. Thank you for the interest and having me on uh, in your show. Awesome, awesome, awesome. One last thing before I let you go. I know you're right now currently in Spain, but you know you reside in Boston. What what are some fun things that you recommend in Boston as people travel again? As people traveling again, I, right now I hear from my colleagues that there's nothing going on in downtown Boston. It's completely <laughs> empty. But I love about Boston is the water and uh, the islands. So I'm I'm an avid sailor. So you know sailing around. Wathas Vineyard, Nantucket, it's uh, fantastic. So that's what I would recommend. Go go see the islands. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Stefan, again, thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. Thanks for taking a few minutes to share your expertise and experience here. Thank you, Bobby. Goodbye. Absolutely. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com. 